Hello, my name's Gizzy Erskine. And I'm Sydney Lima, and this is Sex, Lies and DM Slides. Where we invite our celebrity friends to dive deep into their DM boxes to see what terrors lurk within. We'll be chatting about online trolls, online dating, perverted proposals and why everyone's so weird on social media. Sex and Lies and DM Slides. This podcast contains adult content, graphic details of our sex lives and the filthy contents of our inboxes. You have been warned. Hi, Gizzy. Hi, Sid. Welcome back to another episode of Sex Lies and DM Slides. I'm your host, Sydney Lima. And I'm your other host, Gizzy Erskine. Sid, yeah. it's our last it's I our know. last one. For now. For now. For now. But how are you feeling about that? Well, we've got this message in this week from a a, a huge fan Can of Sex Lies. Can you answer the question? Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's been, we've been doing it for a year now, babes. I know. It's, it's going to be sad. It's going to be weird not to have our weekly catch-up. I know. Um, so you've had some interesting texts. Yeah. So I've had a message from a man called Scott. I did ask for his permission to say the name Scott. Uh, So I'll read it out to you because it's to both of us. Hi, Sydney and Gizzy. I'm a huge fan of Sex Lies and DM Slides. The way you guys address issues surrounding sex is just brilliant and I wish I had had a podcast like this to listen to when I was at school and they were giving us what they thought was sexual education. Being a religious school, they threw the moral book at you and we walked out believing that our willies were tickets to hell. It was an all-boys school and most, if not all of us, had willies. We were addressed by an expert and it went something like this. Women are like a bag of crisps. The expert, almost certainly a 35-year-old virgin, then produced a packet of cheese and onion crisps from somewhere on his person. (laughs) He continues, And you want your bag of crisps fresh and crispy, do you not? (laughs) Oh, my... And so, when you open your bag of crisps, continued the virgin genius, you want them to be yours and yours only. You don't want to share your crisps lest those other fingers make the crisps soggy, nor would you eat from some other man's opened crisps as those crisps, my brothers, would also be soggy. By this time, 80% of the school had lost the metaphor, but the more savvy of us knew that women were like bags of crisps and we all saw our crisps as symbolic vaginas. So thank God for shows like yours where sex can be spoken about intelligently and with the joy that it can bring. Scott. Scott, you We legend. love you, Scott! <laughs> oh my God, poor Scott! I want to bring him to my breast. <laughs> so yeah, that's been happening. So um, it is our last episode. I'm very sad. We've got a very good option for our last recording, I think, with Father Damon. I am so excited that we're interviewing him. Do you remember how this all manifested itself? I do. Would you like to elaborate for everyone else? Well, (laughs) I got really obsessed with watching the Army Hammer uh, case develop. I don't know if anyone saw it. Army Hammer is a big Hollywood celebrity. And the number of women came out saying that allegedly he'd been uh, sending some of them cannibalistic fetish stuff, which we were trying to work out whether it was actually real or not. And it ended up in this weird rabbit hole of crazy stuff. One of the things that came out of that rabbit hole was Father Damon. <laughs> um, Father Damon started off doing probably the most elite fetish club in the world. It's called Sanctum. Uh, it's a billionaire sex club. It's the best way to describe it. It's full of celebrities. You have to be paying, I think, yes, yeah, £75,000 membership. A table costs two and a half grand. It has celebrity guests, including people like Gwyneth Paltrow. But then it actually started up from a very sort of innocent place, dare I say that, not innocent, but far more holistic place uh, with only a $50 entry fee and a lifetime membership for one and a half grand, which I think you'd probably be a lot happier with having spent that back in the day. So the women do not pay but are required to submit an application in the form of full body photographs. How do you feel about that? 
Mm. Even though women aren't paying, you still got to show your body. Like, your body is your value in there. It's a very traditional kind of sex club. It's like a, like a gentleman's sex club, do you know what I mean? Mm. Not no, But no gentleman in there. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's loads to be said about it, but we ended up following him. And then do you want to explain? He slid into his DMs. And then within about five bloody minutes, he was straight up Sydney. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like a rat up a drain pipe. I did a little bit of flooding. Um, and then we got onto this like mission of like who's going to be able to like <laughs> He sent me, how should I put this, uh, a very um, explicit sexy message. So we'll see how that unravels later. Yeah. I feel like it's the last day of school and we should have more wine. <laughs> I think it should. Um, what were you going to say, Sid? Okay. This was on uh, an interview on Goop, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow's site, because apparently they were quite good friends. Uh, so he said, I had a powerful sexual energy from early in my life, in direct opposition to an equally strong desire to be a committed and monogamous mate. I was tormented, remaining true to partners I care deeply about and often failing, while also desiring to fully actualise my authentic self. A lot of faff out in it. I mean, how would you feel about being called a mate? I don't know how romantic that is, because actually he speaks sort of romantically in his own head. Um, another thing that Father Damon does, which I really want to go to, by the way, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really try and get an invite on this interview for us. Would you come with me? Yeah. So basically... We're just going to end up fucking Father Damon. That's uh, fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, it's a quote from Father Damon's uh, website about the retreats that he is doing now. He sold Sanctum. So it says... Sit with Damon personally for a soul-gazing session and take this intensified practice with you into your current and future relationships. It's rare to experience love when you're at the centre of the universe. No, when you are the centre. When you are the centre. Fuck, yeah, because at the centre of the universe can be a bit tricky. (laughs) It's an important step to understand what is possible for you. So basically, that's going to get you. You're going to stare into Father Damon's eyes on mushrooms or ayahuasca and he's going to bone you. Okay, listen, how much do you think it would cost to do one of these classes? Uh, What, like a classic soul-searching? Just a normal soul-searching Soul-gazing and tantric Um, love group. uh, 500 quid. (laughs) Up. Grand. Yep. Or or for a couple, it's three and a half. Three and a half? Yeah. Or if you do it specifically with Father Damon, the price is upon request. (laughs) (laughs) So without further ado, this is going to be fun. Sex and lies and DM slides. slides. (laughs) (laughs) Damon, we'll just go straight into it if that's cool with you. Uh, I like to go straight into it, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think we need to give you a bit of an introduction about how we discovered you. Mm -hmm. We'd heard about you, we'd heard about uh, Sanctum, and we'd heard about your retreats. And we hunted you down on social media, and then we realised that you were sliding into our DMs, and we were having a secret competition to see who could pull you. (laughs) I could tell that both of you were sort of, I don't want to say pursuing me, but but pursuing me for for some reason, you know. I I wasn't blind to that. Do we call you Father or Damon or Father Damon? What do we call you? I think Damon's good. You know, Father Damon is sort of this, you know, spiritualized figure that I could sort of step into, but I'm still me. I'll always be me. Does it sort of fit in the same structure of um, how a lot of people like to call their partners daddy? It doesn't, but um, I've sort of played in that realm and I had never really gotten into that at all. But yeah, I mean, no, father would be something more kind of spiritual than, than daddy. For me, sexuality is so fluid and there's so much to be explored that um, I I wouldn't want to pin myself down to any one specific thing or role. I mean, I think that it's hard for me to be submissive, really. But, you know, one thing that I would teach is Tantra, which is 
I mean, to me, kind of like the highest form of spirituality and lovemaking. And, and I can have the feeling of an orgasm where, where I, I basically do come, but I don't ejaculate. And I know that sounds a little crazy, but, um, but it's very real and it's so magical. And then you can just keep making love. You know, I've, I've had people that, that I've made love to that, you know, were like, are you going to come? You know, and, <laughs> and sometimes I don't want to. So do you want to tell us a bit about yourself? Where did you grow up? I grew up in Northern California uh, near San Francisco. And I had, you know, a very interesting childhood. My father um, was a classically trained violinist, and he ended up playing in a band called The Grateful Dead. Wow. Wow. Are you serious? Yeah. Uh, My mom was a poet. You know, I was born in the 70s and just that whole energy and that vibe. And I was around a lot of sexuality, a lot of drug use, a lot of like very free thinking. And I saw just that anything was possible and that and that you don't really have to have rules. My, my father was someone who was just very anti-society, anti-rules, anti-government. He would say to me, like, you know, don't ever get a job. Find ways to make money and, and to live in this world, but don't conform. I didn't realize how it was going to affect me. But of course, in my life, I've always... I just kind of done whatever I wanted to do. You know, I, I, I wasn't really afraid of what people would think because I, you know, I was taught to just not care. So how did you come to set up Sanctum? Believe it or not, I was in a 20-year relationship. I met my ex-wife now very young and we fell very deeply in love and I very much believed in monogamy and, and the white picket fence and all of that. And, and somewhere along that path, I just started to ask myself, like, what do I like sexually? Like, what am I into? And I didn't know. I had been with one person and really had sort of a very traditional sex life. I knew that there was something going on with me where, you know, I, I liked to to be sort of aggressive and, and dominant during sex. And, and my my ex-wife was sort of, a, I would say, maybe a dominant partner also, whereas, you know, like, I, I, I'd want to tie her up or spank her. And, and she's like, you know, what are you into? Like, who are you? And I, I didn't have any knowledge of BDSM. I didn't know what any of that was. And honestly, I was questioning if there was something wrong with me. You know, like I thought, well, why do I have these impulses? And what is this about me? And that was really what I thought. And then out of that, I just started to like look around and see what other people were doing. And I saw that, that there was this whole world of people out there that were exploring all kinds of things. And I wanted to explore that. But like the sex parties or the BDSM stuff, it all seemed so lowbrow to me. And it seemed so like kind of gross to me. Like it wasn't, it didn't sound like a place I'd want to step into. And so I thought, well, maybe I, I need to create something for myself and the circle of friends I have. And that's how I started walking the path. It was simply something that I wanted to discover for myself. I had no idea in the beginning that it was going to turn into what it did. I mean, I, I couldn't have dreamed that throwing my first party for a bunch of my close friends, that that would turn into, you know, a global brand where I was traveling all over the world doing sex parties. So uh, early days, Sanctum, can you explain what you'd get? Me and Sydney are turning up for our first time. What are we wearing? What are we wearing? Exactly. (laughs) Well, I knew from the very beginning that I wanted people in black tie. Part of it was I I had watched the movie called Eyes Wide Shut, which is pretty widely publicized. I talk about that. In some ways, I felt a similarity to Tom Cruise's character where he was in a marriage and he was, you know, really madly in love with this woman. But Hopefully a bit taller, though, Father Damon. Yeah, well, I, I believe so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so when he stepped into that that sort of, like, mansion and there was, you know, live sex shows or something was going on and there was this sort of 
vibe of, of the cloaked and the, and the masks and, and this feeling of anonymity. And just th- that world was like, wow, like I want to step into that. I want to know what that feels like. And so that was what I tried to emulate. And so my first parties, everyone had to be in a tuxedo. I would find these really cool locations. Women would be, I think in the beginning it was cocktail dresses and such, but very quickly um, women would be in lingerie or nothing, you know, and, and, and men would sort of be in their tuxedos, but then undress in, in more private spaces. And, and people started to just, you know, make love. And I was doing these live shows. So I would get performers, you know, mainly adult actors and such from like the porn industry, because I didn't know where to find people that would make love in front of other people. Mm. When I started down this path, and I'm living in Beverly Hills, like, can you imagine me trying to find any of that? Like people, you know, if I said it out loud, people would think I was insane. So (laughs) I had to keep it secretive. So so you would you would be dressed beautifully you know you, you'd be wearing you know it's not that we wouldn't be wearing anything yeah you know when you step into the events everyone is dressed it's almost like you're going to like a really high-end cocktail party and, and what would happen is you know for the first few hours it would be champagne and people would be mingling and talking and it's always been a very curated list of people that would be there so people felt you know safe and open you know we had one rule from the very beginning you always ask before you touch mm-hmm. it was like a really simple rule but we were very serious about it mm-hmm. we knew that if um you guys are are in your laundry you're not wearing anything and some guy comes up and grabs your ass or something the whole dream is done you know all of a sudden mm-hmm. now you're just at a party with a bunch of idiots yeah, yeah so yeah, we yeah. made this thing that you have to ask so like may i touch you may i kiss you would you like to join us you know th- this verbal sort of communication would always happen first and people could say you know no I'm just watching or you know yes this is my first time here so that conversation would immediately start and then once that conversation started to happen people felt comfortable like okay I'm in control of this situation this is my experience and then we would start these sex shows around midnight and when you watch people in front of you making love um, or fucking their brains out or, or being tied up or being spanked or whatever it may be that has a tendency to sort of turn you on a little bit, right? So you kind of maybe want to want to enjoy yourself also. And so that's what would tend to happen. It was almost like a cue. Like when you're watching other people do it, it means that it's okay for you to do yeah. it. How long did it take for people to really get into the groove of that? Not long at all. It, the people <laughs> that came to my events really guided me and showed me what they wanted. I was paying attention to them. For the first couple of years, I was really there to facilitate this experience. I mean, I would participate, but not really openly. You know, my role was to make sure everyone was was enjoying themselves. And so I would just pay attention to what they wanted. And I noticed that what they wanted, you know, was to be having sex. And Mm -hmm. as I saw that that was sort of the evolution of what this party was going to be, I just kind of found ways to almost make it even more enticing. And we would have beautiful food and, and all kinds of stuff. And there'd be just naked bodies everywhere. I had a lot of beautiful performers. And just the attitude in the room was sex is okay. You know, one night a month and, and when it was really rolling, three nights a month, because I would go L.A., then New York, then Moscow. We just really, like, opened those doors and made people feel like on that night they were free. We really gave them that permission. You know, you can walk up to someone and say, like, I would love to just, you know, make love with you or get down on my knees and, and suck your cock right now. Or, or you know, can I, can I be between your legs? You know, like, w- whatever it is that, that someone wanted in that moment, they would just ask. 
you know, and a lot of times the answer would be yes. And so people just began to really explore fantasies. So walk us through it. Me and Giz, you've turned up in our underwear. Who who else is going to be there? And like, what kind of things would we see? And yeah. You know, a, a typical party would be probably like a, a mansion um, in somewhere, um, you know, LA or, or New York. You know, we would basically just take over a home. And then within that home, we would set up all kinds of performance and, and there would be rooms that would have sort of experiences within them. So we might have a, like a BDSM type room where you would step in and there'd be, you know, a black leather, you know, X and, and, and ropes and, and different types of floggers and instruments and things that you could, you know, play with. Sometimes we'd set, we, there would be maybe even almost like medical devices. Like we would, we would sort of set up these spaces so that people could go in and explore a lot of, you know, most people who would step in would be really novices to this world of course. I was going to ask quickly is, is it sort of like sitting in the space of it being quite vanilla or is it actually people who already have their foot in the fetishy door? Most of the clientele were quite vanilla because these are very wealthy people I mean they're business leaders I mean just to step in the door the minimum ticket price was you know close to 2000 and and membership started it at around 15 to 20,000 they went up to over four hundred thousand dollars, and yeah, and I and and all of this is true. You know, like I sold memberships for over four hundred thousand dollars that that were that included initiations, and and some of those memberships would actually include me teaching some of what you know I knew Shabari rope techniques and different things around sexuality. I mean, you, you sort of get a very hands-on approach to to, to wanting to learn, <laughs> literally, to, to wanting to learn about sex because how do you learn about sexuality? How, you know, how does a man learn to control? his orgasm how does a woman learn to really get off to maybe squirt or to or to, or to have you know deep inner orgasms like where do you go to learn that stuff these people have endless amounts of money and and they're taking cooking classes and they're learning how to fly planes and they're you know they're doing all this other stuff but when it comes to their sexuality there was no place for them to really get that kind of knowledge or instruction so so that's what i began to offer because i saw that that's what they wanted um, so yeah, so anyway, back to the parties. So there's all these sort of rooms of exploration, but within those rooms, we would put people who were very skilled at those things. So if you wanted to be tied up and flogged, or you wanted to learn how to do that, there would be people that were sort of giving those instructions and, and it, it wouldn't be like a class, but like we would sort of show you some of those things or involve you in some of those things so that you could explore. And then if you wanted to take like a deep dive, you could actually come and do classes and we talk classes on all of that stuff. So you're, you're exploring, you're walking around, you're seeing like mini performances. You might have a, a table, which would be like a couch and, and such where you'd sit with, with your group and, you know, people would come over and sort of my performers, some of them were called indulgers where they would come over and sort of indulge, you know, your fantasies. I mean, not sexually fully, but but, you know, kissing you, kissing your girlfriends, you know, getting you guys to kiss, just like, like really getting people to sort of begin to interact and get over the fear of touch and kiss in a public environment. And then shows would begin. And so you'd begin to see people making love and, and some of it was more soft and sensual. And some of it was very intense, you know, like depending on the performers and where you were in the event, you might see a woman surrounded by four men and she's just like getting completely ravaged, you know, and in another room, it would be something different. One thing that we did with, with the performers was I didn't want anything to be fake. I wanted it to be as real as possible. So I would say like, what is your fantasy? You know, what are you into? What do you want to experience? And, you know, my performers would really lead that because I, 
I'm almost like too much of a gentleman to say, okay, you're going to have sex with four men. I would feel uncomfortable telling a woman to do that. I would. I, I would feel like I was putting her in a position that, that was maybe dangerous or maybe, you know, I don't, I don't want her to come away from one of my parties feeling like just utterly destroyed or something. Can I button on that statement? Um, of course. Because yeah. I, I do wonder often um, in a sort of high, I mean, I've been involved in a fetish scene pretty much since I was six, 15, actually, I think was I went to my first club. And um, mm -hmm. I feel like the, there hasn't actually, I've had a really good experience with it on a sort of sexist level. Um, but some of the higher end sex parties do tend to have a bit of a misogynistic sting to them. Do you, do you see that in your clubs? I've had moments of that for sure and then made adjustments. You know, th there were times when I, when I looked around and I felt like it was just a bunch of rich men and young, beautiful women. And it felt like that's what the direction it was going in. And, and so I, I would have to adjust for that. I would allow like younger, hot men who couldn't afford a ticket to come in complimentary on the agreement that they were there to sort of pleasure the women. And I had, you know, I had no shortage of men who were happy to do that. So I would always be sort of watching and adjusting to make sure that everyone was happy. Who would you say the randiest is between LA, New York and Moscow? I mean, LA parties were, you know, were pretty wild. I, I mean, New York was also pretty fantastic. Moscow was was a surprise to me. I didn't, I didn't expect, I didn't expect it to be quite on the level that it was. You know, that we had we had huge budgets over there because my partners uh, were very wealthy and they wanted to do everything right. And so, um, just the level of production was truly mind blowing. You could imagine the oligarchs and all of that. That was actually real over there. And then, of course, the guests were just gorgeous, and the men and the women. And there was a lot of sexuality in Moscow—a tremendous amount of sexuality. It was—it was. It was um, those might have been, you know, sort of the randiest parties, as you say. We don't use the word randy, but I know what, I understand what you're saying. <laughs> what do you think it is about it? I mean, like the Russians have been quite oppressed for quite a long time. Do you think it it comes into the psyche of that, or do you think it's just that they're used to the money? I feel like sexuality is oppressed everywhere and mm -hmm. and in the, United, in the United States as well I mean we're you know it's a you've got a country that was that's run on Christianity although maybe less so now but still politically and in other senses you know Christianity is pretty important here to a lot of people and and Christianity certainly would would frown on this type of behavior so you have a lot of people repressed to their sexuality globally and so anytime you put something together at this level, that's what made it, I think, so special for so many people was it wasn't like kind of like a dirty, gringy, you know, type of experience where you're walking into like a place with like plastic covered beds and yeah. and like unattractive people. You're walking into a world where it was absolutely beautiful and everything was was on this level. And the people that were there were the people that you maybe read about or respected or had seen in a movie or, you know, and, and so all of a sudden it was like, it was a different kind of experience. If you give people the opportunity to explore sexuality, they're going to do it, mm. you know? And so that's what I found. I mean, there's been a huge sexual awakening over the last few years anyway. I think, I think that goes globally. I hope so. I mean, once I sort of started to explore my own sexuality and how it really opened me up, I wanted others to feel that same thing. And, and I was sort of anti-monogamy for a while. I thought people who are in monogamous relationships were crazy. How could you not want to explore your sexuality with more people. I mean, why are you keeping it, you know, just with one person? Over time, 
I came back to realizing that there's something to be said for committing to a person and and really deeply exploring your sexuality. But I had to experience everything I did to sort of come full circle. And I think that Father Damon, like that concept, it arose out of that realization that rather than trying to find, you know, sort of that epiphany with like, you know, multiple partners, maybe I could try to find that epiphany with a partner. You know, there's many forms of sexuality, but the highest place that I've gotten to is is when you're deeply in love with someone and you really are, you know, you know that person well and they know you, you've sort of committed to this exploration together and then you can really get to these amazing places. You know, monogamy can be incredibly beautiful also and, and really fulfilling also. Isn't it great that we can actually now wipe away the uh, ideology of what love once was and actually recreate it in, in this sort of new structure. Yeah. And, and I don't, you know, because sex is so, it's so like animalistic and deep within us. And there's so many forms of it and so much to explore. And, and honestly, because I've seen so much now, I've seen other people do things that I, I haven't stepped into and, and And maybe I won't, you know, like I don't, I don't need to necessarily like try everything. What wouldn't you try? Well, <laughs> I mean, just from, a, Sorry. <laughs> just from like a technical standpoint, you know, I'm so open and I, and I believe that as long as it's consensual, like anything goes, I have no qualms about anyone doing whatever it is. One of my very close friends who I'd known for 20 years, you know, very, very successful, married and, and has a child. And he came to the club and he wanted to explore a threesome. At this point, he wasn't married. He is now. And he wanted me to help facilitate that. And I did. And, and he asked that one of the girls bring a strap on. And I assumed that what he wanted to do was to watch them have sex and then have sex with them. But what he wanted was for her to have sex with him. And I, I, you know, I had no idea. And, and so that was sort of eye-opening to me because mm. I had known him for so long and there's, you know, I mean, he's experiencing something that, that I never have. Yeah. Um, but but it was it was like surprising. It was like, oh, OK. So, you know, there's 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 fantasies that even my very close friends have that I would never know that they have. I know he had, as many people have in my life over the, the span of this, a real gratitude for me facilitating these experiences mm-hmm. for them because they need it. But who do you ask to help to help put that together? Oh, you know, like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> are you straight or are you bi or which way do you swing essentially? I'm definitely straight. I've had some experiences with men over my life and you know, I, I just don't feel a pull towards men sexually and men don't really turn me on, but I think that I wanted to like explore a little bit of it just to make sure and I have. But I think that our sexuality is sort of set within us. Um we're probably born gay or straight. And I think that bisexuality is probably sort of like something that people is, is more almost like an experiment. I do think that some people are truly bisexual, which is sort of an amazing space to be in. Mm. You know, I know people who look around a room and every single person is sort of like fair game and attractive to them. Yeah. Like there's no separation between a man and a woman. And I find that to be quite incredible. Were there many um, famous people that have come to the club? I mean, you know, that's well publicized. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> For those who don't know. <laughs> yeah. So in that case, should I rephrase that? Which famous people have, uh, have come to the parties? I, I mean, it, you know, it's sort of public knowledge at this point who's been in, you know, I mean, or at least at least so many names have been mentioned in the press. Um, Can you say any you know, for our viewers who might not have actually read about it yet? 
I guess I could say who's been mentioned in the press yeah. and not yeah. confirm or deny it. Yeah, I mean, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a pretty long list. Go on. I think this Obvi- is... <laughs> I'm very excited. Di- Le- <laughs> I, mean, I mean, Leonardo DiCaprio and Angelina Jolie and... There's been so many, and and I feel like to say those names out loud sort of cheapens what what yeah, it was, sure. and also also I feel like I have a phone full of of contacts, and as I go into the future of what I'm doing next, I wouldn't want them to then say, oh, you mentioned my name on a podcast, I'm not gonna, I'm not, I'm never talking to you again, and you know the na- the names I just mentioned have been mentioned publicly, and we've had reporters that have made their way into events. You know, it's happened once. And she was, we screened her, but she was very clever about how she did it. And anyway, she, she, she was hot and she was an agent provocateur and she would walk up to some of the people that were there. She was flirting with them and then asking them, how long have you been a member and things like this. So she had firsthand knowledge to it. So she printed quite a few names, but you know, other than that, we did keep it pretty locked down. You know, we, we were able to allow people to explore this without really the fear of getting caught. And it, it's a shame that that even matters. I mean, uh, it, it's it's a natural in, instinct. I mean, listen, I am in this world and I want to bloody know which famous people. And we, you, do you know what people would want to know if we were at the party? I think it's a natural human instinct to be a bit inquisitive about that. It's I, I interesting. Mean, yeah, of course. And some of it's so ridiculous. Like, oh my God, you know, Leo's at a sex party? Like, come Surprise on. Surprise fucking, fucking prize. Me? <laughs> exactly. I mean, I mean, you know, who do you think these people are? I mean, of course they're into sexuality yeah, and they're into yeah. exploring stuff. But at the same time, they don't want to be publicly shamed for yeah. it. I, I, it. I don't think they care. No. It, you know, they're not ashamed of their sexuality. But the public shaming that comes along with yeah. like, you know, oh, you're exploring your sexuality openly and freely with a bunch of other people that want to do the same thing. How yeah. dare you? And you just think, look, you've got this space there where people are like, actually far more in tune with their own bodies and sexuality, therefore not abusing it and other people. And I just think it is actually kind of a safe space because you're with like-minded people. It is if it's the right space. Yeah. You know, I guess one more person that I'll mention just because I had such a beautiful experience with him, probably shouldn't mention his name because he's asked me not to, but, you know, a very, very famous American rock musician, uh, just a, a true legend. Yeah. You know, at the end of the night, he was in my room on, on my acoustic guitar Fuck. singing, you know, myself and, you know, maybe seven or eight people is songs you know it was like are you fucking kidding me like how is this possible <laughs> that's um, when you'll know your life's you know, taken a swear for the better now listen just quickly um there, there's one person who's been in the press who has been linked to your parties and that's Ami hammer um did he come to the clubs in all honesty i don't know and i know that's probably not the answer you want but like i said i have in my phone the contacts of everyone that's been in and um, I got to <laughs> probably back it up somewhere and lock it down now that I said that out loud. <laughs> but um, I looked at my phone and I don't have his contact. So that means he was not a member for sure. And it means that if he did come in, he would have come in under a pseudonym, which I allowed some people to do, but he does not ring a bell for me. There were people, um, there was a billionaire who was in under Mickey Mouse. And once I would get to know them, then I would know who they were. And then I would do a Wikipedia search and see that they're worth, you know, 2.7 billion or whatever it was. It was kind of funny, like working with some of that type of clientele where they would say like, what's the highest membership you have? What's like the top tier membership you have? And so I would create these memberships like <laughs> to appease their need to be like the, the top of, ones. <laughs> of, of the, yeah. You know, that was part of my journey too, was realizing that I was dealing with people that really wanted, they were into one-upmanship 
they were into like the ethos of like wearing, you know, a special ring that signified them as being in this elite group within this elite is group. That, is that when you had the blood ceremonies for the most exclusive members? Is that what was that? About? Um, yeah, I mean, that started fairly early. Those were called Dominus memberships. You know, like I said a little bit ago, I paid attention to what they wanted. You know, I, I was dealing with with a clientele that, that I wasn't familiar with. I mean, I, I certainly had friends that were influential and had money, but I didn't know billionaires before I started Sanctum. You know, like, why would I? You know, they weren't coming to me for anything, you know, but now they were. Now I had something that they wanted. And so I, I followed their lead. And I realized that like a blood oath initiation with a ceremony and, and stuff like that How would does it be work? fun for them. What, what do you do? I don't think I've talked about this too much. We, we had these boxes and we would do these ceremonies and we'd open these special boxes and sort of, we actually did give them like a, a secret password that would allow them into any room at any time. All the security knew when that was mentioned that the person was allowed, even if they wanted to come like say backstage or come into, you know, where the performers were, were dressing or getting ready for a show. They had like a special kind of access to everything and they would wear a ring and, and such that would signify certain things. But yeah, the blood oath was just a process. It wasn't like overly serious, but we would prick their finger and draw some blood and they'd put some blood on a piece of paper. They would sign the piece of paper. You wouldn't believe this little archive I have. It's quite something. Mm -hmm. um, what of blood? <laughs> it's dried blood now, but on these contracts. I mean, the contract was, you know, to the society that you would keep everything that you saw there secretive, that you would not publicize, you know, any of your experiences I was making this up as I went along. You have to realize that some of this, you know, what would you do? If, I know, I, lo I love were, it. I think I think it's really great. You You're me. thinking on your feet and it's like, and it's yeah, trying to evolve I, a thing and it's actually being very honest about it. So we really want to just talk about your retreats because you've sold Sanctum now and your retreats, mm -hmm. Me and Sydney are coming, like it or not. Yeah, please. Please, can we come? Well, uh, of course you can. You know, what's going on now is that the retreats are on hold and, and I think that, you know, I probably will put together... Just things where I can invite people to Malibu um, this summer and have people come and explore sexuality and eroticism in a really beautiful way. And so that will happen. It'll be something where you'll have to just sort of get in touch with me. However, that happens. You know, I, I don't. We'll slide I, back I'm not going to really. So, something like that. Yeah, right. Father Damon. There you go. <laughs> I, I'm not going to make it a big like public hoopla. I'm just going to sort of explore this with people that I care about and, and see what that turns into. You know, that's what I did originally with Sanctum. So the, th the difference about the retreats, because I've gone on the website, we were hoping that we would be able to come and see you this year, but if that's not happening, that's very sad. But we, one of the things that were, was really exciting about it is you are a big fan of psychedelics, aren't you? Yes, well, one of my projects now is actually in mushrooms and psilocybin, mm. cannabis and such, and we're, we're creating some pretty amazing products right now that are, you know, microdosing and also like really heavy dosing of mushrooms. Yeah. I mean, I've done some really just beautiful exploration on psychedelics. I found that they've opened me up to, to just thinking really more expansively. And so I, I want to share that. So that's one of the projects I'm working on. When you come to London, I'm going to take you to a place that we've got this, uh, it's quite a sort of uh, inner city London psychedelic society. And they do sort of like night Your house. Mushroom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're coming round. And I, basically they do like all night mushroom ceremonies. And uh, it's kind of like in the same way I suppose you do an ayahuasca ceremony. But in a quite a yeah, London I mean, way. And we should we should all go. It's going to be great to come visit. I, I really want to and, and explore. You know, I think you guys are up to some great things. One last thing I'll say is that um, I'm working on a restaurant nightclub now in Los Angeles. So it's like... 
how do I spiritualize nightlife a bit? You know, how do I make a club that experience where it's just so heightened and it's really amazing and it's not just like a bunch of models and bottle service. And, and so that, that's really my challenge, you know, and I, and I don't know where I'm going to end up, but I think that part of it is curating the right group of people. Part of it is having entertainment that is really kind of charged. And then of course, you know, just serving, you know, mushrooms and molly water to everyone who walks into the club. I should come and do the food. That would be fantastic. I can come and do the molly water. (laughs) (laughs) So father, um, yes. Just because I think we have completely neglected the fact that we have a podcast about DM slides. And, um... <laughs> yeah, what kind of DMs do you get? I get incredible DMs. I have people telling me that I've, you know, helped them and opened them up to things. I have people telling me that I'm, you know, a horrible person. You know, I feel like people love me or hate me. Instagram is sort of my dating app. I mean, that's yeah. how I meet people. And, and I, I've definitely met some amazing people through Instagram. It's a global uh, thing. So it's been fun. Listen, that's the perfect place to finish on that because this is okay. our last episode. You've been probably the most honest person to actually say that you actually use Instagram as a dating app. Yeah. To be honest, no other motherfucker admitted it, except for me and Sydney. Not so, Izzy, yeah. so um, listen, it's been fantastic talking to you. We, uh, you Can't could, wait to meet you. Yeah, we're desperate to meet you. And what a delight. I can't wait to meet you guys also. And thank you so much. And, um, and I'll see you in London. Or if you make your way out to Los Angeles, please let me know. With bells Will on. Do. <laughs> Take All care, right. gorgeous. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to our Spotify original podcast, Sex Lies and DM Slides. Please follow us on Spotify and tell all your mates about it if you enjoyed it. And if you have any weird and wonderful Sex Lies and DM Slides stories of your own, do slide into our DMs at Sydney Lima and at Gizzy Erskine. No dick pics, please. Also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sex Lies DM Slides. This Spotify original podcast is a Hayden Prowse production edited by the guys at Podmonkey with music by Freeseed Films. Our executive producers at Spotify are Rachel Simpson and Alexandra Aidy. 